Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. A little bit of news to pass along from the NFL as well. According to the Pro Football Writers Association, they have named Aaron Rodgers their 2020 MVP. What? This is not the NFL MVP that is named by the AP. That is the one that they view as the true quote-unquote MVP of the season. But pro oh, football so- writers typically name the same one as the AP. No, Josh Allen's going to be the MVP of the NFL now, now that Aaron Rodgers got the AP one. It would be a very big surprise if Aaron Rodgers is not also named AP MVP of the season. So there's your news from the NFL. Right now, though, let's go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line. Happy to be joined by the voice of the Blues. He is Chris Kerber joining us here on the show. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Okay, doing really good. How are you? Uh, doing all right. So we're excited to watch this one between the Blues and the Sharks tonight. Pre-game coverage begins on 101 ESPN at 7 o'clock. I think the number one thing most fans are going to be looking for in this game, Curbs, and you've probably heard plenty about this, is the special teams, whether it be the power play or the penalty kill. I, I feel pretty good about the power play. They've gotten some really good opportunities on it. They just haven't gone in. Let's talk about the penalty kill a little bit here. What do you think so far this season? What have you seen that has gone wrong for that unit? Uh, it's just I think it's just the the new personnel. Now Oscar Sundquist said we've got some of the same guys, but there's more minutes now for guys than there was before. I think there's a difference going out there if you were on that second penalty kill or maybe the third penalty kill rotation and who you're going up against versus you know always going out against the top. So. I think they're missing the likes of Steen, Bo Meester, and Petrangelo, and obviously the shot-blocking ability right now of Robert Bortuzzo with him on IR. But the biggest thing that you look at is they're, they're too spread out. They're, they are trying, uh, not slowing down the other team in the neutral zone. Uh, they're giving in the blue line way too much that's allowing them set up. Oscar Sundquist's comment I thought was great. He said, we're showing too much respect to both Colorado and San Jose's power play. We need to be more aggressive. That's something that was echoed by Craig Berube. So I think some tighter play, some quicker reads, and then, guys, it really the stick work is something that has to improve, too. The difference in just being able to glance a shot off the stick, deflect a shot with your stick, deny a pass with your stick that allows you to jump on it is a huge key here. So I think those three things. The one thing I'm sensing, though, Brandon, is the fact that, like, none of the penalty, like, you, depending on who you talk to, none of them are, are – even remotely worried about it right now they're like yeah no we we know it hasn't gone well these first few games but we got the personnel it's just working through some of the issues and so there's there's still a high level of confidence on it 
Curbs, uh, we heard from Craig Berube during that, that Zoom with the media after practice today that there's a potential we could see Sammy Blay back into the lineup. Of course, he's been suspended these last two games. Is this more just trying to get more of a look at Sammy Blay because you want to keep everyone fresh, or do you feel like there's somebody in the lineup that just needs a day off? No, I, I think it's a little early for the day off thing, uh, but having said that, you know, Sammy Blay coming off that suspension, I think uh, Craig Berube liked what he saw in game number one. And I think part of this is if he's in there for Kyle Clifford, he wants him to he, he wants him to just keep going. And, and I think it's just about getting a younger player in and, and getting him going, especially, you know, I, I don't think the team agreed with the decision to, with the suspension. And and so I think this is one of those, OK, you served your suspension. Now let's get right back in there and get after it. So. I think those are more of the deciding factors than anything else if, if, when that decision gets made. We're talking to Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I do have a question, kind of a big picture sense about the Blues. How far do you feel like we need to get into the season before we have a real sense of what this team is? Because obviously the answer is not three games. It's not going to be four games after tonight, especially given how strange of an offseason this has been. But how far do you think we need to get into the year before we have a real grasp of what this team truly is? Well, you know what? I, I'd have to look at that 10-game mark as possibly something. Something that it doesn't matter what coaches that we've talked to over the years. They seem to think that's between the 20 to 30-game mark when you really start to have a good, uh, a real good, you know, I guess, sample of what the personality and the makeup of your team is going to be. So, I can't imagine why that number would be any different just because the schedule or scheduled fewer games. But I do think the nature of how these games are going to go, these series are actually, it's, it's changing some of the approach a little bit, believe it or not. So I, I think maybe you have to get to that sooner. The challenge is you didn't have the preseason games. You didn't have any warmups here. You can tell the guys' hands are not quite uh, up to speed with their minds in terms of what they want to do and what they could normally do with the puck. And then, like I mentioned, the dynamic of these second games, we talked to Baruby about it this morning. A team that loses the first game doesn't want to lose two in a row. And it used to be like if you lost a game, say, in Chicago and a road trip continued and you were on your way to Columbus, you're like, okay, well, you don't want to lose two in a row, but you're facing a completely different opponent. There's something different to it. This, you're playing the team that you just played the night before. And or the day before, depending on whether it's back to back or have a day off in between, and and that creating these little series things where you've got to match the intensity of the other team, and you know exactly what you're going to get. And so you know, players today were talking about being more physical, being harder on the puck, fewer turnovers, those kind of those kind of things. And I think if the Blues learned anything from the first two games in Colorado, is how they need to approach Game Two now against San Jose. I, I think. I think you need to approach the second game of each one of these series much more like you would a playoff series versus just another regular season game. That's the vibe I'm getting from guys on this. Curbs, I haven't had the opportunity to ask you about this, but I am curious. Craig Berube went back from the the lines we saw in the first two games to kind of a pairings matchup, you know, having O'Reilly and Perron and Shannon Schwartz and Thomas with a, a Hoffman or a, a Bozak. Do you like the idea of doing that pairings with this forward group, or would you rather see it that kind of top-heavy, top-six matchup? No, I, what I like about what he's done here, Alex, is Braden Shen has played better for the St. Louis Blues as a center than he has on the wing. Right. And so when you try to put Robert Thomas at center, you have to make a decision if he's going to play in a top-six role. Is he going to play 
at center on the top line, or is he going to play at center on the second line? Well, he's not taking Ryan O'Reilly's spot. That mm-hmm. we know. So I think what they did was it, it forced a little bit more imbalance in the line than they really wanted. It had some guys playing where maybe they just aren't quite as comfortable. I think by doing this, it brought back some of the familiarity, and I think it showed in the game. Look, the five-on-five play of the St. Louis Blues last game I thought was really, really good. I know, I know they were down 2 nothing in the first <laughs> period, but there was a lot to like. And Craig Berube said that might have been their overall best period of the season, and yet they were still trailing 2 to nothing by the end of it. So having said that, I think that this just gives you an opportunity to put Shen back there, give, keeps, puts Robert Thomas at center, puts him with a guy he knows and has played a lot of hockey with in Tyler Bozak. I, it actually adds, I think, a little more balance to the lineup and, and just makes sense. It just uh, – putting putting Robert at Tom, Thomas at center, you've got to get Shen to the wing and because you're not going to reduce Shen's minutes right now by putting him in the third-line role. So it, it just works better, I think, for the personalities and how guys want to play. Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues, joining us here on 101 ESPN. Kerbs, I thought Jeremy Rutherford had a tremendous story over on The Athletic earlier today, talking with both Tom Stillman and Doug Armstrong about how the Blues became a team that spins to the cap every year. And that's what we expect them to do at this point every season. And now this year, I mean, even in a pandemic season when they have very little, if any, revenue coming in from gate revenue when the fans are in the stands, they're still not only spending two, but above the cap with cash because of the long-term IR money that they're spending. And he got some great quotes from Stillman and Armstrong about how that came to be. I wanted to ask you your perspective on this, Curves, because you've been around this organization for a long time now. How have you seen that develop over the year with Stillman and Armstrong? And how much credit do they deserve for doing this? Well, I, I look, this ownership group, I think, deserves all the credit to they they knew what they needed to do, and they said, look, if there are extra dollars around, it's going into the product for the fans, which is hockey ops. Considering that you're spending right up against the cap, and look, they're going to spend over the cap this year. Okay, Now, it may not count towards the cap, but because of the injury to Alexander Steen, Tarasenko, how they, they're going to spend more than the $81.5 million. And maybe I think fans need to understand that. To do that in a year where revenue is is drastically cut, drastically cut, um, is just immense. And I think Blues fans, especially those that have been long and around long enough, to know of the different financial challenges that so many different ownership groups of this team have dealt with. And we've had to see future Hall of Famers and potential Stanley Cup opportunities go by the wayside because uh, of, of not wanting to pay players more, whether it be Mike Lee, Ute, Adam Oates, and, and just go on down the line. Um, I think that whether the results end up there in championships, you know that all the effort is going to be there to give them the best opportunity to do it. The role of Doug Armstrong, I don't know that there's been a better manager in the last few years that has managed the cap, manages free agency, manages his, has managed his, unrestricted, his restricted free agents as well as Doug has done. But what's also happened over the years is Doug and Tom have really developed a relationship. And, and that relationship's an important one, where at the beginning, Doug would you know, get asked questions by Tom. And at times, you know, for Doug, it felt like just, a, you know, the owner being a fan. And Tom explained to, to or Tom Stillman explained to Doug, no, I've, I've got other owners. I, if, if I get questioned, I want to be able to answer some of their questions as well. And that created a different di- type of dialogue between the two and it's working very very well there's a great level of trust 
There's a great level of understanding. And look, the results speak for themselves uh, very clearly here. So it's, it's, it's been a terrific relationship, I think, between those two. Doug has every opportunity, every resource that he needs, including a new practice rink to help recruit players. And, uh, and, and this ownership group, you could tell, is just 100% committed to get, giving this city and this region the NHL team that it deserves. And the results are, are, are proof in the pudding right now. Curbs, we've seen, my final question for you, we've seen the NHL come out and say that they're going to take back or take a step back with this puck tracking that they were hoping to accomplish this season. And Ryan O'Reilly had a great comment about it after practice today. He was asked if he noticed the, the, the puck, track, puck tracking changes. And he said, well, puck wasn't going in for me, so maybe it'll start going in tonight. Should we put our money down on O'Reilly scoring some goals because of the, the puck tracking being gone? Okay, this is, this is really a, it's a funny topic right now. So the league comes out yesterday and said uh, the pucks with the chips in it that they were, that they were using uh, throughout, uh, you know, throughout camps and things like that, they're not going to use them anymore. They're actually going to go back to the 1920 game pucks and start using those. So Craig Berube got asked that question in his media scrum. He goes, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> and then Ryan O'Reilly got asked. He cracked the joke about, well, yeah, I'm glad they did it because the other ones weren't going in for me. Oscar Sundquist was asked a question about it. And he go, they go, they go, like, who's, do you know who would complain about him? And Sundquist quipped that maybe it was David Perron. Like, I mean, these guys had no clue that there was a difference with the puck. At least the ones that we talked to, and obviously we couldn't get to everybody today. But no, so I find that it is kind of interesting. So somewhere along the line, they realized things might be a little bit different. Our guys, including the coaches, were totally oblivious to it. So the cool thing is, is when they get it going, the 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 enhanced stats that, that fans are going to be able to see and understand, I think are going to really show a different appreciation for the game of hockey. But as far as, I mean, our guys were just, it, it got funny because you're like, well, I think it's a good question to keep asking in case somebody actually did recognize a difference. But so far, everybody that we've talked to, none of them. They're like, uh, yeah, we don't even know what you're talking about. He's Chris Kerber, voice of the Blues. You can hear him tonight on the call. Pre-game coverage with Alex Ferrario for Blues versus Sharks begins at 7 o'clock puck, puck drop with Kerbs and Joey Vitale coming up at 8. Kerbs, always appreciate the time, man. We'll talk with you again soon. All right, fellas, have a great game day. Talk to you a little later.